Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles again, please join me in Psalm 116. Psalm 116. We're going to pause on the book of Acts for a little while during this uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We'll get back into Acts after the first of the year. But today, I want us to look at Psalm 116. Psalm 116. There are 19 verses here. We're not real sure who wrote this psalm uh, today. Who knows, David might have, he may have wrote it. Regardless, the psalmist was going through a very difficult, difficult season in his life. And during this difficult season, he chose to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And in doing so, it changed his perspective. And there was this product that came out of this sacrifice of thanksgiving. So let's read the passage of scripture, and then I'll make some comments here this morning. Look at what verse number one says. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ears unto me, or his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserved the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word today. I read a story this week of a little blind boy who was sitting on the steps in a downtown setting. The sign had written on it, I am blind, please help me. He had a little hat down by his feet and hoping to catch money as individuals walked by. As he sat on those steps, the hat was nowhere close to being full. There was not much change in it at all. A man walked by and saw the sign, and he stopped and introduced himself. 
He said, son, can I see your sign just for a moment? He took the little boy's sign. He turned it over and he wrote something else on the other side. He handed the sign back to the boy and he says, I want you to hold the sign this way where everyone can see what I just wrote. The man then took a couple of steps back and in silence watched what happened. As people passed by, they began to throw money into that little hat. They began to stop and look around and throw money into the hat again. And within 20 minutes, the hat was full. The, the little boy said, Mr., are you still here? And the man said, yes, I'm here, son. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, you sure, you sure can. He said, what did you write on this cardboard? He said, well, son, I said the same thing you said. I, I, I told the truth. I, I just said it in a little different way. He said, what did you write on it, sir? He said, I wrote, today is a beautiful day, but I cannot see it. Both signs spoke the truth. But the first sign simply said that the boy was blind. While the second sign conveyed to everyone walking by how grateful they should be to be able to see. When your life seems full of troubles, when it seems difficult to maintain an attitude of thanksgiving, it is important for us to understand it is at those moments we must offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We are living in a day where it seems that the storm clouds are growing darker and darker by the day. It is so easy for us to live in society today and take our gaze off of God and lock our gaze on our problems. We must understand that thankfulness, that is gratitude, is a heart-centered approach that is a habit that Christians need to be in that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of challenge, we have something to be thankful for. Psalm 116 is a psalm of an individual thanksgiving. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but perhaps it may have been David. In thinking about that, just for the sake of application for the next few moments, let's say it was. The psalmist is giving thanks to God for saving him from peril. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 6. The Bible says, The Lord preserved the simple, I was brought low, and he helped me. There was a catastrophe that this psalmist needed help with. And this catastrophe could have possibly been when Bathsheba gave birth to the baby and the baby died. David deeply needed the Lord's help. But it also tells us in this psalm that uh, there's this great peril, this extreme danger of death that was happening. Uh, like in verse number 3 that we read, the sorrows of death compassed me, the psalmist said, and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. It could have been David that was hiding from Saul or, or maybe hiding from Absalom as his own son was trying to kill him. It, it, was a, it was a terrible, terrible catastrophe that this psalmist was going through. Yet this psalmist made a conscientious decision in verse number 17 that changed his perspective 
and gave him an attitude in such a way to make sure that he was in right relationship with God and he was gazing upon God and only glancing at his problems. You see, brothers and sisters, when we take our gaze off of God... When we stop doing our devotion, when we stop uh, attending church, when we stop having our Bible study, when we stop having our daily prayer time, we get our eyes off of God. And when we get our eyes off of God, we will turn our eyes on something. We're living in a day where many are turning their eyes to the frustrations of our culture. The election didn't work out the way that some wanted. Family members are sick, even often dying. We've just heard reports in between services of friends uh, uh, down uh, or up in Tennessee uh, whose uh, father had just passed away. Uh, several are, are, are sick of friends that we know with the uh, coronavirus. It's, it's a challenging, challenging time. And it's easy for us to get our gaze off of God. But the conscientious decision that the psalmist made during this time in verse number 17 says, I will offer to you, to you God, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, there are times in our life when being thankful is a sacrifice. This year, 2020, is one of those years. But it's nonetheless an opportunity for us to demonstrate a great principle in Scripture. And that is to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because it will produce within us the wonderful benefit of locking our gaze back on God and not our problems. And if we're going to get through this holiday season, the Christmas season, and whatever season the Lord sees fit to bring us through, we must always continually offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, regardless of the challenge that we experience. The psalmist puts his situation in perspective, and he focuses on the main thing. He says, regardless of what happens in my life, regardless of the death, regardless of the peril, regardless of the sorrow, regardless of the pains, regardless of the trouble that I find myself in, this one thing that I'm going to be thankful for, and it's going to be a sacrifice, but I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm going to be thankful for my salvation. And the psalmist begins to be thankful for his salvation. And in doing so, we see the natural product that comes out of the sacrifice of thanksgiving. There are three that we find in the text. You see, giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving, the psalmist reminds us of three very important products that come from this sacrifice. Number one, the first one is the assurance of answered prayer. The assurance of answered prayer. When you pause and you begin to thank God, even if it's a sacrifice, but you thank Him for your salvation, we have the assurance of answered prayer. Look at what the Bible says in verse 1 and 2 again. If you have your pens, I'd take them out. This is a great passage. He says this, I love the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you, you can't help but love Him. He says, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice. I would underline that. He has heard my voice. That is one Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is Shema. 
And it means to hear. It means to listen. And it also means to obey. He says, God, you have listened to the words that have come out of my mouth. And they have found favor in your sight to the point where you have granted my request. Look at what he says. He also uses the term here, and my supplication. My supplication. What is supplication? That's another word for petition. Remember, when you pray, brothers and sisters, when you ask the Lord and you are requesting of Him, many of our prayers consist of six basic elements. Number one, praise. We praise God. We can always find something to praise God for. Amen? Always find something to praise God for. Number two, thank God. We can always thank God for something. Brothers and sisters, I am thankful for you. When I pray, I, I let the Lord know how thankful I am for you. We can always thank the Lord. Number three, the third thing is confession. There are many times when we pray. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what is that turning? That's confession. We confess when we pray. Number four, what do we do after confession? Intercession. We have friends, family in our life, individuals that we love dearly, and we confess, or we, excuse me, we intercede on their behalf. There's this intercession that we do. We pray for them in their situation. Number four, what, or five, what's the fifth one? The fifth one is petition or supplication. Here we find this. He's talking about supplication. These are requests that we make for ourselves. Here in this passage of Scripture, the psalmist says, You heard my favor. You heard what I'm asking uh, you to have favor upon. I'm asking you a request. God, save my soul. And you heard my voice. And you heard my prayer. And then we can't forget the sixth one. I don't want to leave it out. What's the sixth part of our prayer? Listening. Listening to what God has to say. Don't be in such a hurry that you don't pause to hear what the Lord has to say. The reason why the psalmist is praising God for his salvation is because he was saved. And then he listens to the response of God and he responds to that. And he says, because you heard my supplication, you heard my request for salvation, I love you, Lord, because you heard my voice and my supplication, because you have inclined your ear. Not only did God hear his voice, not only did God answer his prayer, but he uses the term inclined his ear unto me. That is one Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word, watch this, it means to bow down. To bow down and listen. God was bowing his, his uh, at the waist, if you would, bowing his head down to listen to the voice of his child. And he says, because you've bowed, you bowed down and listened to what I had to say, he says, I will therefore call unto him as long as I live. The word call there means to speak out loud. He said, I can't keep my mouth shut. I cannot keep my mouth shut because you heard and answered my prayer. Brothers and sisters, when we get to that point and we praise God for the answer to prayer, we know that that is just simply one of four ways that God answers prayer. 
So I thought there was always three. I'm going to give you four today. Number one, the first one is this. God oftentimes answers yes. Can I just say this? God always answers yes for the prayer of salvation. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. God always hears the request of salvation. He answers the prayer for salvation with yes. He answered the request of salvation for this psalmist. Yes! But there's a second way that God answers prayer. God sometimes says no. Sometimes when we pray, God says no. I remember what Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Paul said this in verse number 7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should exalt myself above measure. For this thing, this thorn in the flesh, he says, I begged the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul says there was a season in my life where things were not going the way I wanted it to go. God had allowed for this tragedy to come into my life. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was aggravating as all get out, he says. And, and many scholars have tried to figure out what it was that was the thorn in the flesh. I don't know. But what I do know is that God kept saying no to him when he would ask God to take it away. No, you I'm not taking that away from you. No, I'm not taking that away from you. No, I'm not taking that that away from you. I'm grateful for the loving kindness of God. For if it had been one of our children, we'd probably have thumped them on the ear. What are you talking about? But God in his great loving kindness said no. And then he, listen, here's the reason why he said no in Paul's life. Listen to verse number nine. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in, and the applied word here is your weakness. Did you get that? There's a great principle here, brothers and sisters. Because maybe somebody here has been praying and asking God, and it's been a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's been a sacrifice to be thankful. Because really, really your petition, your supplication to God is take this away. God, take this away. Take this away. Would you please take it away? And God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. Because my grace is sufficient for you. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you're weak, I'm strong, God says. And then here was the conclusion that Paul had to come to. He said, most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities. That word glory means to say, thank you, God, for this. I'm glorying in my infirmities so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. Many of my uh, Carrollton uh, friends that are watching today uh, know that we had a dear saint in our church. And this dear saint loved the Lord with all of her heart. And she was known as an individual that would write you an epistle. It was a fascinating, Chris. She would write you an epistle. She wrote me an epistle. She told me, she said, Pastor, she said, I've been praying for you, a godly woman, godly woman. And she said, I wrote you an epistle. 
She was in poor health. Her husband was, was, was dying of cancer and she was tending to him and she was in poor health. And when I take out that little epistle, that little letter that she wrote to me, I find such great encouragement in it. Because thinking about her weakness, she was made strong. Oh, listen to me, brothers and sisters. If you've prayed 3, 4, 10, 12, 15 times for God to take something away, and He will not do it, know that He's wanting that His strength to be great in you sometimes. He'll say no. God also will answer no. Not only to glorify in your infirmities, but also sometimes he'll say no because of sin. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18. The Bible says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I hold sin in my heart, if I don't confess that sin to God, if I hold it in, he said, he will not hear me. He chooses, he says, no, 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 no. The New Testament puts it this way. James said this. James said in James 4.3, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So sometimes God says no because your heart's not in the right place. So God says yes. God says no because it's going to bring me glory. And then he says, no, because your heart's not right. It's not in the right place. And then here's a fourth way God, God answers. Sometimes God says, wait. The timing is just not right. Wait. Habakkuk is one that we look to in Scripture in the Old Testament to see this truth. Uh, Habakkuk was called the Thomas of the Old Testament. Habakkuk just, he doubted that God could really do uh, great things in Judah. You see, Judah was going through a season of wickedness. The culture was bad. Uh, the election didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And, and they, they were upset. And they were mad at God. They were shaking their fists. There's, God, we don't understand this. And, and they were turning their back on God. And they were participating in hedonism. There was this wickedness that was filling the land. And God said, okay, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose the Babylonians to come into Judah, and we're going to take them captive. And this is where Habakkuk struggled. Habakkuk said, I doubt that you can, you can use the, Babylons to teach the, the Babylonians to teach the children of Israel anything. You see, God, the Babylonians are worse than Israel. And so that he doubted. And so he says, God, let me do this. And God said, wait. God, let me do this. God said, wait. God, let me do this. God said, wait. Sometimes God says, Wait. Sometimes God says no because of sin. Sometimes God says no because it brings him glory. And sometimes he says yes. The psalmist is praising God and giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving in a difficult season because the Lord has saved him. He has said yes to salvation. We see here in the text the assurance of answered prayer. So listen to me very carefully, brothers and sisters. Here's the applications. Things not going your way. 
Now, I'm telling you, things aren't happening the way you think they need to happen. Maybe you've got somebody sick in your family. Maybe you've got uh, some financial distress going on in your situation. M maybe your marriage isn't all that it should be. M maybe you're just struggling with life in general. You're a born-again child of God, but here's the thing. It's hard. And if, when it's hard and you're a child of God, most of the time it's because we've taken our gaze off of God and we've locked it <clears throat> onto our problems. And in doing so, in doing so, we're focusing more on our problems than on God. And the psalmist says, when I get in that situation, here's what I want to do. I want to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And the one thing I'm going to thank God for is my salvation. Thank you, God, that you heard me. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that you answered my prayer. I have been born again. The assurance of answered prayer. Number two, let me give you a second one. Not only do we see the assurance of answered prayer, but when we give the sacrifice of thanksgiving, we also see the confidence of divine deliverance. The confidence of divine deliverance. Look at what the Bible says in verse number three. He says this. He says, the sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I beseech thee, I beg you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserved the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Now, I would underline a few things here. Because the psalmist is talking about the confidence of divine deliverance. He's making it known that the Lord is the one that has delivered him. He says in verse number 6, he says, The Lord preserves the simple. The word preserves there means to look at. It means to observe. It means to set a guard about. Uh, several years ago when my kids were little, we got a little puppy. It was an Australian shepherd. Her name was Maya. Maya helped us raise our kids. I always felt safe if Maya was watching the children. She was a herding dog. She liked to herd them kids up. If they ever got out of line, they'd she'd run, go, go get them, try to herd them up. I had a neighbor who was a godly man. I loved him with all, all of my heart. and He's with the Lord now. And uh, Again, many of my folks there in West Georgia uh, know who I'm speaking of when I talk about Mr. Frank Gilly. Mr. Frank Gilly was a wonderful man. He loved the Lord and he loved us. And it wasn't unusual for him to come over to the house and, and give us meat that he had killed or, or vegetables that he had raised or, or uh, uh, musky dimes or, or scumpernines or figs. Man, every, I can remember on one occasion he was toting two gallons of figs coming over the house. And the kids were outside. And Maya was watching the kids. And as Maya was watching and observing those children, watching every move they make, she caught out of the corner of her eye Mr. Frank. Oh, Mr. Frank did the happy dance trying to get back to the house. He got, oh my goodness, he ran back inside, called on the phone. He said, I have you some figs. Will you please either put the dog up or put the kids inside? That dog watched those kids, protected those kids, took care of those kids. Brothers and sisters, that's the same thing God does for us. The psalmist says, watch this in verse 6. He says, the Lord is watching me. 
The Lord is observing me. The Lord is guiding me. And look what he calls himself. He says, I'm just a simple individual. That word simple means naive. He's speaking of the fact that he just wants to live a life of simplicity. He says, in the midst of this uh, craziness that's in my culture today, God has saved my soul. And because he saved me, I have the assurance of answered prayer. And I have the confidence of divine deliverance. He delivered a simple man like me. He says, watch this, I was brought low and he helped me. He helped me. That word help me is a Hebrew word. It means to deliver. He delivered me. He delivered me from a position of lowliness to a position of exaltation. He wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. He has saved me and thank God for that salvation. I have been delivered from my low estate. This confidence of deliverance that he's speaking of in this text will not be seen again until Romans chapter 6. Here's what I find fascinating about the psalmist. The psalmist in verse number 6 is referring to the deliverance that God offers to us in salvation. Remember, this is an Old Testament passage. How are Old Testament people saved? They're saved the same way New Testament people are saved. The Old Testament looks forward and sees the Messiah coming, dying on the cross, being buried, and raising up on the third day. The New Testament saints look back seeing that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. Both of which in, in have to have faith in order to receive salvation. And Paul spoke about this over in Romans chapter number 6. In Romans 6, turn there if you would, he gives us this beautiful picture, if you would, about the confidence of divine deliverance. Brothers and sisters, listen to me this morning. You have been delivered, if you would, from the penalty of hell and thank God you've been delivered to that by that and you've been delivered by the blood of Jesus he tells us three things here in, in chapter 6 of Romans the first thing he tells us is the reality of this deliverance what's the reality of this deliverance that we died with Jesus Christ Look at what the scripture says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious, by the glory was, excuse me, of Christ, by the, the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Him. Here the, we find uh, Paul as he's speaking to the church at Rome. He says, listen, this issue of deliverance occurred at Jesus Christ's death when he died on the cross and he rose again the third day. And he gives this beautiful illustration. He says, the reality of the matter is you died with Jesus Christ. And that's illustrated in two ways. Number one, baptism. Buried in the likeness of his death. And raised to walk in newness of life. He says you have identified yourself 
with Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross. The reality of this deliverance occurred with Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's cross. And that deliverance, that deliverance was delivered by Jesus himself. You were there when he died. And then number two, he says, the second illustration is that of a seed that's planted. In order for that seed to sprout fruit in the season of its life, it has to go in the ground and it has to die. He says, brothers and sisters, you died with Jesus. And because you died with Jesus, not only do we see the reality of it, we also see the reason of it. You died, in verse number 6 and 7, because our old man has been crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The reason why you died is because you don't have to serve sin anymore. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. We can lock our gaze on God and only glance at our problems and not let our problems and situation influence us to sin because we've got victory over that because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. When he died, we died. And because we are dead to sin, we do not serve that sin any longer. We serve a risen Savior that's alive. We don't have to be discouraged. We're just soldiers, if you would. Sojourners passing through this world. So whatever happens in our culture, whatever happens in our society, whatever happens in our world, this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And we can be thankful we also see not only, if you would, in the text, uh, the, the reality. We also see the reason. And then we see, number three, the third, the results. Why? why? Why do we see this? Look at what the Bible says in verse number eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, then uh, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Thanks be unto God, death has been defeated. And when we die, it's just a doorway. And so the psalmist is looking down through the portals of history and says the reality of the matter is I died with Christ the reason for this is that my sin has been put to death and the reality and the results are going to be I'm going to live with him forever in heaven oh brothers and sisters regardless of what happens in this world Regardless of the direction of our society and culture and even politics, it will not change the power of Christ in our lives. We have to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We see the assurance of answered prayer, the confidence of divine deliverance. And then let me show you a third thing very quickly and my time is up. The third thing I want you to see is I want you to see the surety of of eternal restoration. The surety of eternal restoration. Look at what the Bible says beginning in verse number 7. He turns and he says, Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. Now I want you to notice what happens here. He's not praying. You see that? He's not praying. In fact, I'd underline that. He is talking to his soul. He's talking to himself. He says, return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. He's already done it. He says, I'm saved. 
And because I'm saved, why is my soul so downcast? Why am I always looking on the negative? Why am I always looking on the, on the, on the, the bad things? Why can I only focus on that? I'll tell you the reason why. Because you're not locking your gaze on God. You're locking your gaze on your problems. And when you lock your gaze on your problems, there's this tremendous uh, agony that, you ha- that happens in your life. You can't get things straight. Things don't make any sense. And you're just frustrated and aggravated. And the psalmist says, I'm going to stop and I'm going to choose to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving and I'm going to call upon the Lord and praise Him for my salvation. And he begins to praise God for his salvation and then his heart's reminded, wait a minute, God answers my prayer. God has delivered me and I'm confident of that deliverance and he says there's this surety that I have been restored that is to say not only have I been delivered but now I'm in a right relationship with God look at what he says in verse 8 he goes on to say for thou hast delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears and my feet from falling he says because I'm born again because I'm saved regardless of what's happening in my life there are three things that are true in my restoration. Number one, I have eternal life. Look at what he says again in verse 8. He says, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Brothers and sisters, on March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, God delivered my soul from death. When did he deliver you? Have you ever been delivered? He says, man, I have been delivered. I have eternal life. The New Testament put it this way, John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's this surety of eternal restoration. Not only have I been forgiven, not only have I been delivered, but I've also been restored into a right relationship with God. So not only do we see eternal life, but number two, we also see eternal joy. Look at what the Bible says. Notice again, verse number eight. He says, for thou hast delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears. He says, not only do I have eternal life, but I also have eternal joy. When I start thinking about my salvation and thinking about this world not being my home, I've got an eternal joy that this world cannot take away. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in John chapter 16, Jesus says this, beginning in verse number 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Brothers and sisters, how does our sorrow turn to joy? By giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving. When we think about our salvation, we begin to praise God for the salvation that He gives to us. We move into an area where we know God hears our prayers. We know God answers our prayers according to His will. We have confidence that we have been delivered, buried in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection. The Holy Spirit planted inside of us. We are walking in faith and we have this surety of restoration knowing that this world is not our home and this, there's this eternal life that we are sure of. And then there's There's this eternal joy that we have knowing that we are not long past where we're going to go home. It ain't going to be long, brothers and sisters. It won't be long. We're going home. 
And then number three, here's the third one. I love this one. This restoration is eternal life, eternal joy, and also eternal victory. Look at what he says in verse 8 in closing. He says, and you've also kept my feet from falling. Have you ever looked for an Old Testament text that spoke about eternal security? Here it is. He says, you delivered my soul. You've wiped the tears from my eyes. And you keep my feet from falling. I cannot slip. I cannot be lost ever again. I have eternal victory. John put it this way in John 16, 33. says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. The world shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, when we think about what the psalmist is saying here, we think about the product of a thankful sacrifice. When we start giving the sacrifice of thanksgiving and lock our gaze back on God, it, put things, it puts everything back into perspective. We have the assurance of answered prayer. We have the confidence of divine deliverance. And we have the surety of eternal restoration. So much so that we can say with the psalmist, as he says in verse number 9, watch this. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I have spoken, and I was greatly afflicted. I said, all men are liars. Boy, that's something we say today. He says, what am I going to render for the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? Now that I'm born again and I've got my, my gaze locked back on God, what am I going to do? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. He says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord in death. Even if I die, I'm going to praise God. Oh, Lord, truly. I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaiden. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Did you notice that he said that twice? He said that in verse number 14 and again in verse number 18. You see that there. He says, I'm going to praise God and give him a sacrifice of thanksgiving now, today, in the presence of God's people. And I'm also going to do it in the days to come. Brothers and sisters, Thursday will be here before you know it. And as it gets here, we have an opportunity set before us. We can have a hee-haw thanksgiving. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You can have that. Or we can have a thanksgiving with the sacrifice of thankfulness. But it's going to be our choice. There are going to be plenty of opportunities for us to moan and groan and have sorrow and difficulties gripe and complain about what did or didn't go our way but I want to challenge you today church in this respect 
regardless if you're able to have a traditional Thanksgiving or not, as in compared to years past, we will have a day of thankfulness. And the choice will be yours whether or not to offer it as a day where you sacrifice that thanksgiving. And when you sacrifice that thankfulness or give that offering of thankfulness as a sacrifice, may you begin with your salvation. You see, there are two groups of people here today. There are those who are lost that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And you'll never be able to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving until you first have something to be thankful for. And that's your salvation. So today I want to challenge you in this respect. I want to challenge you to accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. To do as Paul said in Romans chapter 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. If you're lost, my prayer for you today is that you would be saved. But then there's another group of people and that's Christians. Born again people that love the Lord with all their heart. That get frustrated in a sin sick world. That does not like the course or the direction that our country is going in. And struggles with the fact of what to do. And brothers and sisters, we need to be active. We need to be active in every application of life. But one thing we must never forget to do. And that's offer a sacrifice of thankfulness. I want to challenge you today. Maybe you have taken your gaze off of God, Christian. And maybe you've put it on your problems. And you're not reading your Bible like you should. You're not praying like you should. You're not doing Bible study like you should. You're not witnessing like you should. Everything's negative. Everything is gloom, despair, and agony on me. I'm going to ask you today, just like the psalmist did, today, give a sacrifice and be thankful. Offer that sacrifice of thankfulness for your salvation and get things back in perspective so that we can be a witness to a lost world around us. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, for those that are with us that has never trusted Christ as Savior. I pray today would be the day where they call out to you and say something like this to you, Lord Jesus. May they say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Today I repent of my sin and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you in Jesus' name. And then, Heavenly Father, there are those in our congregation today and those that are watching all around that are struggling because being thankful this season will be a sacrifice. Father, I pray that we would do what you've called us to do, what the psalmist has done, and offer a sacrifice 
of thanksgiving to you. And I pray that we would do that today. And then tomorrow, on Monday, we'd be thankful. On Tuesday, we'd be thankful. On Wednesday, we'd be thankful. And in the days coming, we would find something to be thankful for. And then, Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would have your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.